I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. 27-year-old Marche Jones was five months pregnant when she was involved in a fight that ended in the tragic death of her unborn child. A few months later, a grand jury indicted Marche on a manslaughter charge for the death. Was this young woman, in fact, guilty of a crime, or was she also a victim in this situation? This is episode 33, The Marche Jones Story. Hi, Megan. Hi, Amy. Good to see you. Wow, that was really different. (laughs) (laughs) Great to see you as always. Great to see you, Amy. I'm really looking forward to your case as always. Have you heard the Marche Jones case? I have only heard you mention it once. And so I'm excited because I don't know it well. Okay, So you didn't look into it. I did not. No, I I try not to do that. I like you to, you know, I want this to be more of a natural evolution when it's possible. Excellent. There are so many layers to the Marche Jones story that there's no shortage of things to dissect. Can't wait. But before we get into the story today. As usual, I would like to acknowledge some of our supporters. So Megan, who do we have today? All right. First, we have Danny R. Thank you, Danny. Next, we have Melissa Co. And then we have Teresa from New Jersey. Love the New Jersey girls. Yes. You probably don't hate our accent. (laughs) Shout out to Teresa. Thank you, Teresa. And a big thank you to Nicole Chabala. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks. We have anyone else today, Megan? Yes, we have Kelsey Weitzel. Thanks, Kelsey. Thank you very much. And then Shannon M. from L.A. Can we come visit? <laughs> I'm kind of jealous right now. Yes. Of you. Thank you. And we cannot forget a big thank you to Amanda from Wichita, Kansas. Thank you so much, Amanda. 
And last, but certainly not least, a big thank you to Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before we get into today's episode, we don't usually do this, Megan, but I do want to acknowledge a review that we got recently. Okay. Because I was so taken aback by it. Oh. Fan from Finland. That is the username. This was such a heartfelt review. I feel like I teared up and you know I'm cold and I don't don't cry easily. I know that you do not cry easily. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to point out that This listener mentioned our passion for the cases resonating through our extensive research. I appreciated that so much. Because we spend countless hours researching these cases, and I don't think people understand all that goes into it. Even more importantly, this review says that the cases are treated appropriately, seriously, and respectfully. The victims are never shamed, blamed, or turned into a joke. It's objective information accompanied by validated evidence. I appreciated this so much. Thank you so much for recognizing that. We really try our best here. The last thing is that this listener said that this podcast has educated them on serious matters that plague society and the criminal justice system. And that's really what we set out to do. We always read your reviews, good and bad. And of course, your case suggestions, we have a running list. So thank you so much to those of you who have left us a review. Now let's jump into the story of Marche Jones. Marche Jones grew up in central Alabama in the outskirts of Birmingham. Her family had lived there for many generations. And to tell you the truth, Megan, there's not much on her background. I really looked, but all I was able to find is that she was described as a quiet, soft-spoken woman, a good mother to her young daughter who was six years old at the time of the event we'll be discussing. By all accounts, Marche was just a hardworking woman, went to church, loved her family, and she was 27 years old and five months pregnant at the time of this incident. Okay. Marche worked at the same company as the unborn child's father, whose name I was unable to find, and also a woman by the name of Ebony Jemison. There were tensions between the two women, Ebony and Marche. Apparently, there were some reports of jealousy. Some say that perhaps Ebony had a relationship with Marche's boyfriend, or it's very unclear. There's not much out there. On December 4th, 2018, it was reported that Marche initiated a fight with Ebony in a parking lot near their place of employment. Are we talking a physical fight or did this start as, you know? Well, it started because Marche was driving past with a group of friends and she spotted Ebony. And at that point, she allegedly leaped out of the vehicle and started attacking her. Wow. Marche's friends also left the car soon afterward and began moving towards the scuffle. Okay. And so I'm assuming this is a situation where there's a couple of them. So it's like, what, three or four on one? Well, no, Ebony was with some friends as well. Okay, I see. But Megan, the details of the event have really been contested. By one officer's account, Marche was winning the fight, quote unquote, and had Ebony pinned in her car. And Ebony um, was taking repeated blows to the head. And at this point, Ebony reached for a gun and fired it point blank into Marche's stomach. Oh, my God. Yes. However, this account of the fight differs from what others have offered, which suggests that Ebony actually fired a warning shot at the ground and the bullet bounced up and hit Marche in the belly. These are two radically different versions, but they can also be tested and verified, which I'm sure you're going to talk about. You would think. Paramedics eventually arrived and took Marche to the hospital But her unborn child had been struck by a bullet and unfortunately died. This is terrible. Yes. The baby was Marlasia Jones and the baby was cremated later on. So it's very unfortunate because that's the clear victim in this case is 
the unborn child. Was Ebony also taken to the hospital for injuries? No, Ebony was initially arrested. Oh, they're okay. But the grand jury declined to indict her, concluding that she had acted in self-defense. From what you said so far, it sounds like self-defense to me. But does it? So this is where I got caught a little bit. Self-defense varies by state. In Alabama, when force is necessary to prevent imminent harm or injury, then you can have force against the other individual. However, I always thought, and I think I talked to you before about this, that in some states, self-defense, you have to match the level of force. So if I'm coming at you with a fist, you can't just take out a gun and shoot me and say it's self-defense. Unless your fist is being used in a way that would present death. And by all accounts, if she's wailing on her, and I don't know this yet, but Mm -hmm. if she's wailing on this woman and this woman is taking blows to the head and thinks the only way she can save her life is Mm -hmm. to take out a gun, I I don't know the circumstances, but she would be justified in most places to do so. Remember, she was also in her own car. She was attacked. And if the force was so strong, then she would have been permitted to. And now, I don't know if she, I, I, this is going to be a very different thing. I mean, if she yeah. took out a gun and aimed for this woman's stomach, we are talking about a yeah. totally different yeah, situation. Exactly. And I do want to point out, it is a stand your ground state, which would include cars, as far as I understand it. But she was not, in fact, in her car. At some point, it sounds like she went to take refuge in her car, but she was outside with a bunch of friends eating lunch okay. at the time. Okay, okay. As I mentioned, the grand jury declined to indict her. However, they took the unusual step of indicting Marche. What did they indict Marche for? So they indicted Marche on a manslaughter charge for the death of her own fetus because she initiated a fight knowing that she was five months pregnant. This is so interesting. So and interesting. I feel like I we could debate this. I can't wait like to hear more of it yeah. and, and kind of give you my opinion. And Megan, remember, the victim here is the unborn child, but it's Marche's unborn child. And this indictment, this manslaughter charge, it's punishable for up to 20 years in prison in Alabama. Many people believe that the investigation showed that the only true victim in this was the unborn baby. And it was because it was the mother of the child who initiated the fight and continued the fight. She is the one, in fact, responsible for the death. Marche was taken into custody. However, she was able to post bail the following day with the help of her family and the Yellowhammer Fund. Any idea what that is? Never heard of it. The Yellowhammer Fund is an organization that supports abortion rights. They're a reproductive justice organization that serves Alabama and other southern states. Why are abortion activists getting involved in this? So hang on. That will become clear in just a moment. On the edge of my seat here, just so you know. Alabama decided not to prosecute Marche Jones. In July of 2019, Lanise Washington, who was the Jefferson County District Attorney, had a press conference and said that she would be dismissing the case and there would be no further legal action taken against Miss Jones in this matter. Remember now, the DA had the choice of either proceeding with the grand jury's recommendations and charging her with manslaughter, reducing the charge or dropping the charge. So this is a case where the prosecution decides she is going to drop the charge. I think it's interesting that she did note in this press conference that not prosecuting Marche Jones was not a criticism of the citizens who sat on the grand jury because she believed that the citizens took the evidence presented to them, and it was a reasonable decision to indict. However, she believed that it was a disturbing and heartbreaking case, and the main victim was this unborn child who was tragically lost, and both families have really suffered because of this, and nothing 
that she could do can change that actual fact. Okay, so she believes that Marche had suffered enough alone at the loss of her child, and that was that punishment was sort of worse than any punishment the system would mete out. It sounds like that, but if we look at prosecutorial discretion, right? right. We talk about this all the time. All the Usually, time. we see it used in the opposite way. In this case, we see a prosecutor who was not afraid to use her power to refuse to prosecute when justice, in her eyes, wasn't being served. And I want to talk to you about this, Megan, because many community members believe that the charges should be dropped. So I'm, I'm wondering, do you think if there's community consensus, should the prosecution honor that? Because remember, when someone commits a crime, it's society who's being harmed. So was the prosecutor right in dropping charges because the community was rallying for that? I don't know. That's a really hard question to answer. I think that it should be a factor to be considered. So I think the prosecutor has a duty to prosecute crimes against the state. And that is the first and foremost duty, you know, within the bounds of the law and within procedure. I do believe victims, families, community members, they should have input. I believe prosecutors should meet with them. I believe there should be transparency. However, that being said, I don't think that should be the only driving force behind a prosecutor's decision. I think it should be almost like one of, you know, a three prong or four prong Mm -hmm. test. And Um, I think that's probably what happened here. Do you think, wait, do you think the prosecutor then decided not to indict because of community pressure? That's what I was wondering. I think part of it was empathy because I think maybe as a woman, she she, maybe she's a mother, maybe she's not, but maybe she's able to empathize and know that although Marche may have initiated this fight, Marche might not have recognized that the loss of her child was a potential byproduct of her actions. And if she did know that, would she have still initiated that fight? It's hard to say. Right. Do we know anything about, I know you didn't know anything about, uh, or I know we don't know much about Marche's childhood, but was there any like testing done to tell us whether or not she had IQ issues or nothing like that done? There is so little on this case, Megan. Okay, that's fine. And to our listeners, if you were able to find sources other than the sources I cite at the end, please let me know because I'm very interested in this case and there's not much on it. How did you find this case, Amy? Well, that's what we're getting to. So we haven't gotten to the meat of this yet. Okay. The only thing I want to mention about the story before I get into some of the questions that were ignited after this is that Ebony could have moved forward with assault charges against Marche, but she decided not to. And I I kind of respect that. That was really a... Because Ebony is a victim here too. Marche, by all accounts, Marche is the one who initiated the fight. So we can't forget that Ebony is also a victim of an assault here. But I think that shows something about her character that she knows this woman lost a child and she just wants to just put it to rest. I think it shows compassion. I think so, too. The larger discussion is really the aftermath in this complex case. Okay. Alabama has a very broad manslaughter law, which makes it a felony to, quote unquote, recklessly cause the death of another person. Pretty straightforward. Okay. However, what does a person mean? There's debate over, quote unquote, personhood. The debate over personhood begs the question, should a fetus be granted the rights of a person? And at what point in the pregnancy does that fetus have personhood? Oh, dear. Yeah. That's going to be, okay. So just a little background. It's important to know Alabama's law surrounding abortion because it becomes relevant. Okay. Alabama is among at least 38 states with laws that classify fetuses as victims in homicides or assault. In Alabama, a quote unquote person includes an embryo or a fetus at any stage of development. So under Alabama law, life begins at conception. 
And the notion that the law should treat a fetus like a person is widely held in Alabama. In fact, Alabama lawmakers passed one of the most restrictive anti-abortion bills in the country last May. Did you know this? No. They banned abortion at any stage of pregnancy, even in cases of rape or incest. What? They banned abortion? Amy, that's not possible. They can't make abortion illegal. That would be a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade. It's unconstitutional. And we know that once the Supreme Court sets a landmark case such as Roe v. Wade, a state cannot go above that. But I think it was more symbolic for Alabama because the governor did sign it into law in May of 2019. However, acknowledged that it was unconstitutional and likely would not happen. Oh, so he knew this wasn't going to pass. I'm sure the way he tried to get around it was to make very minimal exceptions. Like, I bet he said if the child would pose such a serious harm to the mother that death could be likely or something, you know, some exception that actually... Or, Megan, by having only one clinic that actually performs abortions in the whole state. That's another way to do it. Oh, my. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we've seen this before with other policies. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, I can give an example. Case in point, New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. You you can't restrict. There's Second Amendment. You have the right to own firearms. Do you know how hard it is to obtain a firearm in Jersey? It's essentially. By all intents and purposes, it's illegal in New Jersey. Yeah, right? it's, it's essentially outlawing it. It's like de facto illegal. It'll be interesting to see what happens because from what I understand, the ACLU and Planned Parenthood have a case pending at the Supreme Court level. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure that's Alabama. where it is. Oh, yeah. I'd be really curious. Let's let's keep our eye, obviously, on this one. And I'm sure this will come up again in another case. But in Alabama and possibly the country, this was the first time the idea that a fertilized egg or a fetal personhood has provided the basis for the arrest of a woman because she was pregnant when she herself was the potential victim. Oh, so this is important because it's a first. Exactly. And what year was this in again, Amy? It happened in December 2018, the incident, but the indictment and everything else that followed was in 2019. So we're just a year out of this. Yeah, that's why it's there's still a big conversation going around it. Right. Many people feel that the anti-abortion laws put women who miscarry in a blameworthy position because Marche, in fact, miscarried. You know, it's not that the bullet murdered the child. The bullet wound caused her to miscarry. Right. This is like when we talk about cause of death, mechanism mm-hmm. of death. Yes. I understand. This case has served as a stark illustration of how pregnant women can be judged and punished when a fetus is treated as a person by the justice system. So just as a side note, Alabama charges more women with crimes related to pregnancy than any other state. I find it very interesting that one of the possible charges that women face is chemical endangerment. Oh, is that that drug use? So women are are disproportionately punished for drug usage really in a web of laws that increasingly target mothers. So facing long prison sentences sometimes can discourage women from seeking help. Another recent case that I want to bring up that similarly asks who's responsible when a fetus dies and when should a mother, if ever, be held accountable. Are you aware of the case of Chelsea Cheyenne Becker? Absolutely not. All right. So in California, just last September, Becker was arrested and charged with murder after giving birth to a stillborn son. What? So I'm going to need to know more clearly. So she gave birth to a stillborn son. So you automatically think, oh, this poor woman, right? She's a. That's know, what I would have she, assumed. Yeah. Hospital staff had called the police based on suspicions that Becker had been using methamphetamine while pregnant. Six weeks later, Becker was arrested and charged with murder on the claim that meth caused the stillbirth. Are they also, I'm sorry, what do, is it like murder in the first then or murder like it's attempted? Is it just manslaughter? I, I can't even. 
I imagine because the intent is probably not to murder your child. It didn't say manslaughter. It said murder. But okay. again, right. we know every state has very specific definitions. So, But as far as I was able to find, Becker remains in jail because she could not afford to pay bail, which was originally set at $5 million and then lowered to $2 million. So this case, we should keep an eye on this case because this case can potentially open the door to criminally prosecuting someone who does something that can later cause harm to their unborn child. So it's a bit of a slippery slope. It is. For most people, they're going to look at, or for a lot of people, they're going to look at and say, well, it's really irresponsible and harmful to use drugs, but it's the slope of what else? Like, Yeah. Oh, you went horseback riding and that's dangerous to pregnant women. Or you had too much sugar. Who knows? Like it just. Yeah, you had some coffee. Yeah. You you didn't take your vitamins. You ingested, um, you know, something that you basically should not have if you're pregnant, like without. So again, I understand part. I part understand it. But part of me is worried that this could open up the door to other issues for pregnant women. Just to put this in context for you, Megan, as mentioned, each state is pretty specific with how they look at these things. Okay. So how are fetuses viewed in the criminal justice system in California? That's relevant here. Okay. So in 1970, California amended the state's murder statute to add fetuses as potential victims. But it was meant for the law to apply to people who harm pregnant women, not pregnant women themselves. I mean, it makes me think of Scott Peterson and Lacey Peterson. Yep, exactly. Um, and, you know, that basically... Yeah, it's a double murder because... Yeah, because he harmed... He, or because he killed the fetus or was convicted yep, of that. Absolutely. It's so interesting what the law intends and how it becomes yes. sort of perverse, I have to say. Yeah. Because, right, I would never have thought that it would be intended to be used against women. And it's funny you bring that up because one of the main take-homes from this whole episode is just that. As far as personhood laws and how they in fact affect women. If Becker's case goes to trial, which it's unclear at this moment if it will, it will be the first time a California court has permitted a murder trial against a woman for acts she committed while pregnant that may have resulted in the loss of her child. So that's huge. That is huge. But California is not the first state. I mean, other states, Alabama and then other states are doing this. I understand what you're saying. But I feel like this is not the first time this issue has come up. It is not the first time this issue has come up. I think what's interesting is that the consensus among many people in the medical and public health field is that the use of drugs by women during pregnancy is a public health issue, not a criminal justice issue. And I think this is kind of putting it in that gray area. It's argued by some that the threat of criminal prosecution may in fact endanger maternal and fetal health by deterring women from obtaining prenatal health care. Right. I know that's one of the concerns, and certainly that would be mine as well. But the counter argument to that is women who are using drugs while they're pregnant are probably not going to be exactly. getting uh, prenatal care. Well, we know that pregnancy outcomes have a lot more to do with economic, social, and environmental conditions, sure. more so than anything else, such as drug use. Sure. Right? Absolutely. And all of that's really, it's hard to parse out. Do you know what New Jersey's fetal homicide law is, Megan? You know, I, I surprisingly, I don't. Educate me. Okay. I didn't know either before this episode. New Jersey only acknowledges that when a criminal attacks a pregnant woman and injures or kills both her and her unborn child in the commission of a federal crime, then that person has claimed two human victims. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. What happens if I attack someone who's pregnant and she survives, but the fetus does not? Is that applicable under Jersey law? No, injures or kills both her and her child. So I guess that's why I asked. Yeah, so if she's okay and, and the child is injured, then that that law probably wouldn't kick in. There might be another type of consequence. So interesting, this was passed in 2016. And as we know with most laws, until that exact situation comes up, the law is not going to change. But I think it's very probable 
that there will be a situation like that in the future that would beg us, you know, the question of, is this fair? I have to imagine that we're going to encounter a case like that. And this is similar to the 2004 Federal Act, which was called the Unborn Victims of Violence Act. Why have I never heard of these things? Okay, tell me about that one. So that one just recognizes that an embryo or fetus at any stage of development in utero is a legal victim if they are injured or killed during the commission of over 60 listed federal crimes. So if a fetus is injured or killed during the commission of any of those, it's almost like felony murder in a way. It sounds like that, but it doesn't matter. At any stage in the federal system, you're saying for 60 specific crimes, if from the time of conception through all the way through nine months or all the way through birth, that's considered a crime and, and, and we prosecuted by law. Correct. But there are many states that look at age of gestation and say if the fetus would have been able to survive outside of the mother's body, then it is considered a person or a victim. In other words, if you murder a woman who is only five weeks pregnant, that's different than if you murder a woman who is 30 weeks pregnant. Oh my God. Now, how do we know if that baby would have survived outside the womb? That's when you bring in your medical experts. Some states will give a number, 28 weeks, you know, so it depends on the state. But it just, I just think the main point is that it's so complicated and every state has these little differences and it's so circumstantial. You're talking about like a really wide variability from conception to five months to seven months to nine months. And obviously I'm not any kind of expert Mm -hmm. on this and I know you aren't either, but I would almost imagine if they're looking at that standard, you know, you bring in the experts, but I would also, I would imagine they're almost going with like the lowest bar in terms of we know the youngest fetus to survive was this age. And that's where they would argue the bar should be. But I also know that changes too, as we get medical advances, you know, so I wonder how often they would have to change that number. I just meant historically, yeah. like the youngest we gotcha. know of. Gotcha. Um, and if it obviously if it got younger, but yeah. I, I would imagine I they could use saying. that as the bar. Yeah. Something I want um, our listeners to check out, the New York Times had an amazing piece called the Feticide Playbook Explained. Amy, before you go on, you said feticide. Can you tell everyone what feticide is in case uh, our audience doesn't know? Feticide is the murder of a fetus. It was, it was published in 2018, and it does exactly what the title says. It gives vastly different examples of cases of feticide, and it highlights the immense state differences and can illustrate how these minor circumstantial differences in cases can amount to vastly different outcomes for offenders and victims alike. What really stood out to me in this article is it touches upon this idea that it's a catch-22. Pregnant women are victimized, which then prompts state laws to change, which is then used to prosecute pregnant women. Oh, my goodness. Wow. (laughs) And who do you think is targeted? It's often marginalized, low-income women of color or women in the LGBTQ communities. You know, the more stigma against these groups the more people who lose their pregnancies will be treated with suspicion. Right. So that's going to be one of those unintended consequences as well. Yes. The article also talks about how the criminalization of miscarriages emerges from a culture that insists that pregnant people are exclusively responsible for the outcomes of their pregnancy. But as we talked about, there's environmental factors, sociological factors, economic factors that go into pregnancy outcomes. Not everyone lives in the same environment, and we know our environment contributes to outcomes. But not everyone's going to be criminalized for miscarriages either. The, the point is, if you're part of a marginalized group, right. then people are going to give you the side eye when you have a miscarriage and blame you for something you did. So I think in the case of Marche, it brought up all these interesting questions. Had she been prosecuted, I think this would have caused outrage. There were some really well-written articles, and I'll cite them um, at the end. Okay. So there were some pretty big news outlets that had interesting 
more like thought pieces that bring up all these other issues. Okay. But I was surprised that I hadn't heard about this case more because it brings up so many interesting questions. I've never heard of this case and I, I, I'm glad you brought it to my attention. Again, I have mixed feelings, but I'm going to hold that until yeah, we're... Yeah, I'm almost done. I just had one more thing I wanted to bring up. Okay. Assault is a felony in Alabama. I find it interesting that they could have indicted Marche on felony murder rather than manslaughter. How could they have indicted her on felony murder? Because the death because happened during the commission of, of a, a felony, felony yeah. which was the assault. Exactly. Sorry, because that's yeah. a, a felony there. I, You know, it's yeah. confusing with assault, too, because, it you know, is. in Jersey, you can have simple, you can have aggravated, yeah. you can have and a it's misdemeanor. Not, assault's not a felony in every state, but no. in Alabama, it is. So just for our listeners who don't know, the felony murder rule says that anyone who dies during the commission of a felony is then responsible. So I always tell my students that most straightforward example, you rob a bank, that's a felony. Somebody dies of a heart attack because you're robbing a bank and it scares them. You're going to be held responsible for that death, even though you had no intention. There was no mens rea as far as killing someone. Well, we actually know a lot of offenders who have been convicted under felony murder rules. The groups that we work with in some of the prisons in New Jersey, the Lifers Group mm-hmm. in Rahway, mm-hmm. I believe like half of their members have been convicted yeah. under felony murder. Is yeah. that not correct? You're absolutely correct. And I don't know if you're with me on this, but I'd say felony murder is up there with the top three policies I would change if I had the power to. Felony murder is absolutely up there. You know, I think of the example of, I'm not going to name him by name, but mm-hmm. one of the members of the lifers group he was with another friend and they were committing a robbery but then the friend killed whoever the victim was he did not he was never it was never intimated that he was the shooter he stayed with the victim because he felt terrible and when they got arrested he did not cooperate he did not really rat out his friend even though it it came out later but the friend who shot the you know the Mm -hmm. clerk or the victim he was, he cooperated, was convicted, and he is out now. And the non-shooter under felony murder is still in prison. Felony murder yeah. rule is antiquated. It is misused. Mm-hmm. It's abused. And it should go. It just doesn't make sense in a system that rests on the idea of mens rea, which is guilty mind, right. the, intent, the intent, and actus reus, which is the action. Felony murder totally negates the mens rea. I, I agree. By the way, I know that we're, we're going to come back to Marche's case, but because you said it, you were like, what's your top three? Yeah. Like top, if you have God, to pick your yeah. top three areas of reform, I would actually say felony murder is one of them. Mm-hmm. I would also have to say plea bargaining. It has got to be yep. reformed, the coercion of prosecutor. I know what your third is. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Go ahead. Bail. Nope. Ah. Because I used to, I was always on bail and I'm seeing some reform. So if I have to pick three now, I'm actually going with the appeals process now ah. by which... People will wait, uh, you know, wrongful uh, convictions, those who are sitting waiting 15 years to get a piece of DNA tested. The appeals process has become my new obsession and my new desire to reform. So you're also talking about like post-conviction DNA testing. Absolutely. Because some states have made large strides in that area, but we have a they long have, way to go. The appeals process, though, in general, you have to wait, you know, you submit a brief, you wait a year or two yeah. for a decision. The state has a year or two. People just languish because we don't do speedy justice as well as we should. And I know we shouldn't rush, but the appeals process. But Megan, you have the right to a speedy trial. Yeah, but you don't get you (laughs) don't get one anyway. You don't. And then after your trial, nobody cares. So you just sit. So I'm gonna say those are my three. What are your three now? I was afraid you were gonna ask me. I know. So felony murder and accomplice liability. I'm gonna put those hand in hand. That's fine because they're so often together. Okay. The use of eyewitnesses in the courtroom without corroborating evidence. Okay. Because there have been people that have been convicted almost solely on 
identifications. And I don't think that, and a lot of states have made big strides. And also I think the use of, well, spoiler alert, we'll be talking about this in an episode coming up, but the use of junk science, particularly Mm -hmm. as it applies to arson cases. Okay. That's where I am at the moment. But you ask me tomorrow, it'll probably change. That's fine. And actually a big one for me too, and I might get some backlash, but abolishing the death penalty. Yeah, I know you feel strongly yes. about that one. I yeah. I don't disagree. I just don't agree as, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, that was a side note. We just, yeah. we got geeked out on policy a little bit, yeah. but I know you want to bring it back to Marche. Can I ask you first a pointed question? Right. Do you believe that Marche in fact should be responsible? If not, who is responsible? We have a victim here. Someone has to be held responsible. That's the that greatest question. I have to say my feelings are extremely mixed. I understand why she was not prosecuted. I understand that she, I highly doubt that she went into this fight or attacked this girl thinking anything about that her her unborn baby would be injured or killed. But she has a responsibility to mm-hmm. her, take care of her child. And I do see her as culpable in some way. I'm not going to lie. When you are five months pregnant, it seems wholly, and this is what I think of, of reckless mm-hmm. to pick a physical fight off the street to physically attack another person. I think that behavior is reckless. And I think she should have anticipated that that could have harmed her baby. So I do. This is where I'm going to I don't know if this is going to be a popular opinion. I'm not sure what the right answer is, but mm-hmm. I do believe she's culpable in some way. So would you say a manslaughter charge is the appropriate charge? Yes. I mean, it certainly or wouldn't neglect, be. Maybe? It, it wouldn't be anything with intent. It okay. certainly would be. I, I can see the case for reckless manslaughter to mm-hmm. be made. And I, I know that she probably suffered a lot, mm-hmm. but she's culpable. Yeah. There, She committed. If you look at like the letter of the law, I would say she committed reckless manslaughter. Mm-hmm. I don't fully disagree with you, Megan. But you don't agree with me. Well, let me just ask you, do you think, even if you don't want to see her punished, and again, I don't think like a prison sentence is necessarily appropriate. Do you think that she's culpable? Yes, I do think she is culpable. Does that mean she deserves punishment? I don't personally believe so. But I think if we had to say who's responsible for that unborn child's death and we had to pick someone, but then again, some people could argue that was Ebony justified in a warning shot? Let's assume that she shot it into the ground because the more common narrative is that she did not shoot her point blank in the stomach. So part of me, and she was licensed to carry. So she did legally have the firearm. But I wonder if, did she really feel that her life was in danger? Did she really feel the need to bring a firearm into this situation? Without knowing the details, we wouldn't know for sure. But what you're telling me is that she's licensed to carry a firearm, she was attacked physically, attacked at least strong enough that she tried to flee in her car. She's got a case for me for self-defense. Yeah. I don't know if it's it doesn't seem like a good idea ever to shoot a gun around at the floor because yeah. there is ricochet. And I don't think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. But I'm not sure that I would hold her responsible. I, I have to I be- wouldn't hold her responsible for the death. Yeah. No. I don't think that w- I don't think that would be fair. I don't even know if she knew that Marche was pregnant, to be honest. Five months, I mean, some women don't show. So it's possible. She had no idea. I don't know. Yeah. At the end of the day, I would go with the fact that I think Marche is culpable, but I probably think she's punished enough by the consequences of her actions. Mm -hmm. She's going to have to live with that for her entire life. The guilt is probably enough, but I do think she's responsible. No, I respect that. All right, Amy. Well, thanks for bringing us this really interesting case today. Uh, I just want to say that I don't know. Um, I I don't know where I stand. I have no. I don't have a stance on when a fetus should be considered a person. That's really beyond. I think Amy, you would agree. That's beyond our scope. Yes. I think it's a really interesting argument, but 
certainly I wouldn't have an opinion on that one yet. Because there's some people have a religious argument. Some people have a scientific argument. I don't think we're in the position to talk about that. And I'm not sure that that's exactly relevant in this case. I'm not sure that I would feel different if the unborn child was two months versus five months. So, Megan, I know that was quite the controversial case. But to end here today, let's get to one of our patrons' questions. Right. Ready. So Kelsey Weitzel had a question. Actually, one of Kelsey's questions was asking about what kind of books we like to read. And we actually have a really nice book list on our website that James put together. Yeah, we do. You can go to Women in Crime to check out our book list. But I can just tell you really quickly a couple of my favorites. I love Lisa Jewell. Love Megan Miranda. Love Greg Olson. So I'm a one-trick pony. I read mostly crime books. Yeah, for me, I'm big into memoirs. I do like some of the true crime stuff. But um, yeah, check out our list for sure. And Definitely let us know what you're reading as well. Okay, Kelsey, your other question, you're you're wondering what percentage of criminals have narcissistic personality and how it might impact their criminal activity? This is a really interesting question. When we talk about personality disorders, they exist along a continuum. Correct. So we know, well, actually, let's back up, Megan. Someone with a narcissistic personality disorder, right? This is someone who is a great manipulator. They hold a grandiose view of themselves. Uh, an insatiable need for admiration, sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. The world revolves around this person. Absolutely. Many criminals have been diagnosed with narcissistic personality or people have at least theorized that they have it. Casey Anthony, for example. Oh, yeah. Um, I cover this in a lot of my classes. You do. Who else? Ted Bundy. Um, O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson, Jody Arias, Diane Downs. The list goes on and on. Those with narcissistic personality disorders are not inherently violent. However, when threatened with a loss of control or power, they are known to turn to violent acts. Mm, Okay, yeah. Particularly, there has been a connection between men with narcissistic traits and some sexual offenses. Okay, that makes sense. You know, it's really hard to say what percentage because... Number one, narcissistic personality disorder is not, it's not a mental health defense used in the court of law. No, it's personality disorder. It's a personality disorder, right? So it's not that we could, you know, we could say how many people plead to insanity and how many people get we not can guilty s- by reason of insanity, but. We can say usually with mental health issues, um, such as bipolar disorder and other mental illnesses per se, we usually know the number. So it can tell you the number, the percentage of people in the system with narcissistic personality disorder is definitely going to be higher. But we really couldn't say for sure what the exact number is on that one. Thank you so much for that really interesting question. Uh, Amy, thanks for bringing us this interesting case today. Appreciate it. And we'll catch you next time on Women in Crime. Thank you. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Our music is composed by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, you can get access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include The Washington Post, AL.com, The New York Times, The National Council of State Legislators, and CNN. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. 
Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.